Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz. Uh, Nando Vila, he's out again on assignment. This time, this man is in Portugal. Uh, I'm actually in NYC myself, but, you know, we had to keep the trains running on time here. But we got a very, very special guest, man. Um, this guy co-wrote the book, We Own the City, which is the source material for what's my favorite TV show right now, HBO's miniseries of the same name, We Own the City. He's formerly of the Baltimore Sun, and now he's co-founded and headed up a new media venture called the Baltimore Banner. Uh, Justin Fenton, welcome to the show, my brother. Hey, thank you for having me on. I listened to the show, the, uh, show recaps, and I thought the way you were talking about the show was like everything that you know. I try to get across in the book that they try to get across in the show. So I had to reach out and glad to be here now. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Because like you know, I, I think like my, <laughs> I think my interest in the show kind of slightly diverges from that of Bill and maybe even Chris a little bit because you know I am a very politically minded person, um, and I'm a black person, and you know just the idea of how policing happens here in America, specifically to people who are of working class and poor black backgrounds. Um, th and that's the focus of this show, you know, um, Woke Bros is, we <laughs> just so you know, Woke Bros, we thought we were being ironic when we came up with the name of the show, <laughs> but then people thought we were serious. This is not one of those shows, <laughs> but we do care about issues of policing um, because to me, it's no different than anything. It is class-based and economically based, um, how it is that people are policed. But I do want to talk to you about the show and how you feel the show has done handling the material that's become basically your life's work, man. Yeah, I mean, the book was a culmination of really 17 years of reporting at the Baltimore Sun. I guess since 08, I've been covering the police department and the courts and jails and everything. Um, and, you know, I really took the, um, I, I really wanted to sort of wrap all, all the things I'd seen over the years, it's shifting strategies, things not really changing, but but we're always continually hearing that they're changing. Um, and uh, I think the show's done a great, I mean, you know, so many of the scenes are really straight from real life. They're straight from the book. There's dialogue that's that's word for word. And I think, but I think the um, the issues I tried to hit on, I think that they're they're hitting on as well. So, I mean, I couldn't, it can't, can't go wrong when the people who made the wire are adapting your mm -hmm. books. So I knew I was in good hands, but I mean, I'm, I'm obviously pretty pleased with how it turned out. I don't know a lot about your, um, your background, Justin, um, where are you from and how did you come to work in the city of Baltimore as a reporter for the Baltimore sun? Yeah. I mean, uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Baltimore. We would come into the city to go to nice. Orioles games and the inner Harbor, basically, you know, our understanding of the city was, um, again, for like mostly tourism, Kind of things and i uh, went to college at the university of maryland um mm. did school paper stuff there and then I, I the sun was the only place i've ever worked um wow. and uh kind of thrown onto the crime beat very early on i think i was wow. uh, I, I was you know proud of myself at the time but maybe not ready for it <laughs> at the age <laughs> of like 2025 because this is really Shit. complex yeah. issues and we've become much more in a good way become much more complex when i started it was very much like what are the police not you know how, how are they allowing crime to happen who have they failed to arrest who didn't get a long enough sentence. That was really the way crime was covered when I started on the beat. I mean, that's the way hmm. it was like inherited and passed down to me and expected of me. And just so much as I've seen a lot, experience, you know, uh, the, the, the country's seen a lot, people's eye, eyes are being opened. And this is like an evolution for me as well. 
Yeah, and I want you to talk about that that lens. Um, how, because obviously, if you write a book like We Own the City, your view of policing and crime has evolved from what you just mentioned. Um, just talk about that sort of, you know, that lens that you viewed crime and policing through starting out. Because you said something that's interesting. It's like the only conversations were. How many bad guys are we rounding up and how long can we lock them up for? Uh, just talk about that environment. Why you believe it was so? I mean, I think that, you know, in this in a city like this and cities all over the country, like you do see like people who are sort of like repeat offenders. You know, someone will be locked up and then they will mm. they will get out and they will do something. And everybody sort of says, why didn't why weren't they locked up forever? Mm. And, you know, um, there's a lot of I think, you know, we see that in the you know, the 90s crime bill and things like that, trying to increase sentences um, and mm. expand what what qualifies for certain sentences and things like that. And so I think it's also I mean, in a, in, a, in a best light, I guess it's sort of accountability reporting. You know, the, the police say mm. they're going to keep us safe. So are they doing that? You know, what mm. did they not do? And I think the voices, though, the people who were experiencing the other side of that didn't get enough attention for all sorts of reasons, whether it was the 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 paper myself not 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 being inquisitive enough or um you know uh just the, some barriers to even having those conversations and so uh, yeah it has been a it's been an evolution you know it's interesting because yeah i think when i was growing up just the idea of tough on crime <laughs> fred mcgriff the crime dog uh just police like police procedural shows and you know what what people have now started calling copaganda Etc. Uh, it was just this idea that there people do fucked up shit, um, and they need to be punished for it. And I feel like we're still. I, one of the most frustrating things about the discourse right now, just to divert from what I was about to ask you, is just how punitive everybody's posture is. Right, like everybody's concerned. I think about something like, you know, I'm Deshaun Watson in the NFL, where it's just like. Well, all right. Obviously, we don't want to, we we don't think he should never work again. But how many games is he gonna get? You know, um, which I'm not saying this dude shouldn't have to punish for something that he fucked up that he did. But we rarely ask the questions like, all right, so what? Like, what are we doing for the people that actually got fucked up by this? Like, what are the environments that create an atmosphere that people think that this type of shit is okay? We don't really ask those questions. I think with crime, it's the same thing. Um, especially in America, we sort of racialize crime. Right. Uh, especially in America, it's just like, yo, crime is something that those people do. Uh, and we don't break it down like uh, actually, it's people that don't have access to means It's usually poor people and marginalized people of all races, <laughs> by the way, because um, if you go to uh, poor white neighborhoods, the people who are committing the crimes are not like Negroes don't just fly in and start committing crimes. It's the poor whites that are doing it. Like no matter what neighbor you go to, you know, somewhere like France. Right. And their prisons are filled up with um, the Muslim population who are generally from northern Africa. Uh, but these are the marginalized people people of France. So guess what? Those are the people committing most of the crimes. Um, I feel like that sort of discourse never really started happening. When do you think you turned the corner on in your reporting um, about the hows and the whys of the crime situation in a city like Baltimore that's like kind of like fucking known for crime at this point? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it's com it's so complex because really 
when you talk to residents, when you when you go out in the, in the, in the city, people are saying we want more police. We want police of to course. do more. How come they aren't breaking up that open air drug market? They, I, I talk to people every, almost all the time who say they should call in the National Guard. Now, I don't think anybody thinks that's a good idea, but you, that's the kind of things you actually do hear from people in the communities because there is so much gun violence. And it seems like police is just the the way that everybody knows to go about it and that the idea of investing in other things is this long-term thing, but what are we going to do about right now? That's the moment we're in right now in Baltimore very much. So our mayor says, you know, we got to approach, we can't keep doing things the same way. Our state's attorney says we shouldn't be locking people up for low level fences. It doesn't do anything. And every, and a lot of people's response to that is like, okay, but you know, we, we our homicides are up. Non-fatal shootings are up. Like, you know, it seems like anything goes here, like you're letting things go and you're talking about this long term path. I mean, I mean, I, I guess to answer your question, it, it's I can't pinpoint a moment. I think over the years I did see so much corruption and misconduct, but it really was like sort of like almost, it almost was always an isolated thing. It was always like one officer did one thing hmm. and then they all press conference and they say, we got him. You know, that one guy, we got him. He's gone. There was one case where there was a towing scandal with it, like. 50 officers were taking kickbacks from a towing company. And, you know, that was kind of like, whoa, okay. Like, you know, this is a widespread kind of thing, but it was towing, you know, it wasn't, mm. it, was, it was a towing, you know, they're the, the, the towing company wanted the business. <laughs> it's not as sexy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no, but it wasn't like abusing people's rights. It was like, yeah. it was like, you're not supposed to use that towing company. It wasn't like the, the most serious thing, but like, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think, you know, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, all that stuff that was happening then was when it real, everybody was forced to sit up and pay attention and mm. then it started Got fell back you. down a little bit. And then, you know, and it, I think that's what's so striking about this scandal is that it was post Freddie Gray. It's a time when the DOJ is supposed to be supposedly they're in the department looking <laughs> under every rock and every corner and they're there. You know, they're, they're like, no one would be misbehaved with a DOJ investigating the department. And like these guys were doing this shit like while they were there <laughs> because they really knew that it was like a love tap kind of investigation. They knew that they were there to do an academic kind of thing to look at numbers, you know, they were going to do a ride along, but don't worry, we're not going to do anything to you if you screw up. Like, and, and everybody knew that. And so for like this, like massive scandal, an entire unit really revealing the way that all the, not, I, I, I should be careful, not all the plainclothes units, but a widespread <laughs> practice of plainclothes units, which we knew. I, I think there's, there's one other, there's one point I want to make before we, we leave this thought, because I, I, I see this quote that goes viral on Twitter every now and then where someone says it's not your job as a journalist to quote people about whether it's raining outside. You, you stick your head out the window and, and find out whether it's raining. And that makes everybody feel real good about how noble journalism can be and you just tell the truth. But like I feel like with crime reporting, it's so it, pre-body mm. camera, pre-cell phone camera. There's a brick wall. There's no window to stick my head out of. I don't know the truth. I, I know that people do make you know we, we we see it now with body cameras people will throw a gun and it's on camera and they go I, that's not my gun and it's like yeah, it, it it is your gun <laughs> but then we also know that our, our cops lie because the system incentivizes them and says we believe you we're putting you on the stand because we we believe you and your word matters so it's it's just uh it's it's a it's complicated and the more the more i learn the the the, the less i feel like i know but <laughs> Anyway, that was a I was a long answer. To no, your I love that. Love, 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 love that answer. And you know, we do want. I do want to get into the meat of the book and you know the Gun Trace Task Force, man. Because I ended up watching that document. When did that documentary come out? Uh, it was last fall, I believe. Last Before fall, happened? yeah. So mm -hmm. I did watch that last fall. Um. And I remember thinking, oh, this is pretty interesting. But I feel like the documentary was more centered around the case 
of the fallen officer and the mystery of like somebody shot him. They're trying to say he killed himself. Was it a cop? He's just a former. Like it didn't really go crazy deep into the gun trace task force, but it kind of did. I feel like this show is kind of getting to the nitty gritty of the systems that allowed for this to take place. Um, how did you find your way into all of this? Like you said, yeah. Freddie Gray had everybody looking at police sort of sideways. <laughs> and, you know, everybody sort of had to, you know, look up and be like, hold on, are we, are we doing our due diligence with these cats? How did you find your way into all of this? Because, and, and again, because like, <laughs> there's that crazy accident where they kill the fucking old guy because they're on a um, wild chase. Uh, there's this officer who dies. There's all these weird things happening around Baltimore police. But how did you find your way in? What do you mean in terms of the documentary or covering? Yeah, it? yeah, the, the so, um, so covering the, all of this stuff. I mean, yeah, I've been the I've been a beat reporter here since 2008. So I mean, I, so I a lot of this it. stuff was already in your purview. I I covered that crash that where where wow. uh, Albert Davis shit. died. You okay. know, and so you know, again, you 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 go out to the scene. The police tell you that they. They chased a guy. He, he he killed a guy. The neighbor. I mean, in, in my book, in my article, there was a, a next door neighbor who was like, man, I wish they would lock up all these thugs. Like, you know, that that's the mindset because mm -hmm. Burley had a record. He had a long record. I think he had previous federal drug charges and everybody's looking at it going, why was this guy out? And, you you know, you call his attorney and you say, you know, what do you have to say about this? And they go, we're not going to comment. It's a pending case. He eventually pleads guilty. I mean, that 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 looked like it was extremely straightforward. Open and shut. And it took a federal wiretap investigation seven years later, you know, for that information to really emerge. So, you know, it's uh, but yeah, I, I, I covered some of these incidents over That's the years. So and crazy. Jamel Rayham shot three people in a span of 18 months. Right. When I started on the beat, I quoted the NAACP and some legislators saying, you know, get this guy off the streets. They didn't get him off the streets. The paper had written about Daniel Herschel. He'd been on blast. <laughs> we wrote a story about all the lawsuits against him. We wrote about mm. Young Moose, the rapper who was calling him out. I mean, this stuff, some of this, a lot of this stuff was buried and behind the scenes, and some of it really wasn't. Some of it was, it was out it was there. Just public no knowledge. Yeah. Got you. And, man, I, I do want to talk about the Gun Trace Task Force, because on the show, like, <laughs> if somebody sort of told you what these cats were doing, you would think like, bro, you can't even put this in a movie. Like, this cop is so fucking evil that he's robbing a stripper, right? Like, th like this is how evil, this is how greedy and how brazen this guy's gotten. Like, come on, man. Like, this is a super villain. Like, we can't write this kind of stuff. But the stuff that's on the show and the stuff that's been documented is so like there's there's nothing they haven't done like they're planning drugs they're planning guns they're stealing from drug dealers they're robbing citizens who aren't breaking the law they're robbing strippers they, they're just going like level to level like the crime is just absurd i would like to know when you sort of got a you know sort of got a sniff that like yo it's not just like Herschel is like this horrible, super, and on the show they depict the guys this just terrible, dirty cop. Like he's just the worst dirty cop in the world. The whole unit is funky. Yeah, I mean that that did not uh, emerge until the the, indi the indictment came out in uh, mm, wow. early, early 2017. I mean, again, this was a unit that a couple months earlier the department put. Uh, on the cover of the department uh, in, in internal newsletter saying these guys are doing a great job. I mean, that's really how, you know, I think that there was people who worked with them who knew what was up, who didn't want to say anything. There was people who were in their orbit who were sort of like, you know, it's 
I don't know how to get in so many guns. No, no one else gets that many guns. It's not, we, we, we go out every night and do things the right way and we're not getting that many guns. What's up with that? And then there's people who, you know, again, are like sort of enjoying the, how well they're doing and, and, and praising them and, and, you know, their productivity. Well, is before so you go on, you know what that just reminded me of? Um, yeah. Bernie Madoff. Uh, it was, there were people who worked in the financial industries who were just like, you can't, get that great of a return on investment year after year, no matter what, like he's, he's cooking the books. Like, it's just not possible. I've done the job. I know what it's like to do it. Like a normal person would. And even when you're great at it, you can't produce at the rates that Bernie Madoff is doing. And what you just said, it's funny. Like people are just like, there's just, how else would they be getting all these fucking guns? Right. And, and people didn't, you know, um, when they got a gun, they said, well, you know, that's a bad guy and, yeah. uh, you know, good job. And they don't really question how they went about it. I think things would have gone a little bit differently now in this era with body cameras. I, I then Perhaps that's naive, but I mean, really, wow. body cameras were not online at that point. They were just coming online and like only like a couple of the officers had them. So that officer would go stand at the end of the street while they, you know, facing the wrong way. And, you know, they <laughs> now getting into like the idea of like auditing them and holding people accountable for that. So I, th I mean, I think if there's one like silver lining, it's that like, you know, everybody wear wears cameras now. And, and by the way, how fucked up is that? Like, in what job do people have to walk around wearing cameras on their body because we don't trust them? <laughs> you don't have it's restaurant tough. workers doing that. Mm -mm. You don't have, you know, the, the, the mailman doesn't have to wear a camera so they make sure they don't steal the mail. Like, it's really a shocking, like, kind of statement about the state of things. But it also allows us to see everything now. And so I, I would I would like to think that if stuff's going on like that, like, man, it's all being recorded. And I hope, I hope <laughs> the, the, uh, you know the, the layers of oversight are, are are aware of that but it's this stuff's hard to access and so are those mm. misconduct complaints you know they're very mm. hard for the public to see look and, and look i'm about as pro-union as anybody can get but police unions man lord have mercy they they these guys the, the stuff that they allow for their union members to get away with and i think that's one of the best scenes in the fucking show um, when the DEA, uh, I forget the lady's name, um, the character, the, the name of the lady, I know she's yeah. a composite character, but not DEA, Neil. um, yes, excuse Neil. me, she's a DOJ lawyer mm -hmm. and she's talking to a Baltimore police union rep and it's just like, all right, is it even possible for a cop to get fired for fucking up at the job? Like, is it like, can a cop ever be fired? Yeah, of course. Like there's a line and blah, blah, blah. She's like, has it ever happened? And he's like. <laughs> I represent my union members and like that, like that just boom, distilled it right there for me. And so you said in 2017, these indictments come down. And that's when basically everybody finds out. So you find out with the public, like the feds have just arrested a bunch of Baltimore plainclothes unit cops. Um, Talk to me about like what it's like for a person like you who's in your fucking job. Um, and just a citizen of the city and like, you know, a news, like what's it like to get this news and find this out that it's happening on your beat? I think it took a while to process it, to be honest. I mean, wow. I think that that many officers at once, you know, we, we had, we, we did have the six officers in the Freddie Gray case, obviously, but we, I think we'd had so many cases that were more about brutality. Um, mm. Brutality is what everybody talks about, understandably, shootings and, and beatings and things like that. This was about like trust. This is about like stealing overtime. This is about robbing people. This is about taking drugs. And it was sort of like, wow, like, 
whoa <laughs> and, and you you do sort of go back in your head like did, did anyone tell me about this and and i, I missed it <laughs> yeah the only thing i could think of there's definitely been like no lot like no one's suing over this kind of stuff no one's really going to mm -hmm. the media saying i had lots of drugs and they took them you know that really doesn't happen that is you know that's understandable but i i do think one, one moment of reflection i had was that i wondered yeah there's so much uh, uh talk about asset forfeiture several years ago how how uh Authorities take people's money if they yeah, can't. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I wondered if people told me, "Oh, the cops took my money," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, cops take your money when they arrest you. That that's what they do." They they and I didn't realize that they meant like, no, no, they they took it and like didn't <laughs> right, didn't, right. Didn't write it down. <laughs> that's the only like, but, but yeah, it was a process of sort of like I think a few few weeks or months in is when we really started to be like, whoa, like this is gonna get bigger. Like the indictment is like a bare bones account, and this is only gonna get more crazy. And I started to really tell my editors and coworkers like. I gotta like, I gotta work on this. I gotta like focus on this. And and I mean, honestly, the final uh, insult that these guys had to the police department and the public was taking the case to trial. We wouldn't have found out about, uh, 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 you know, the stuff that came out of trial. If they all pleaded guilty, would we would have never found out about it because you can't wow. get this stuff from the feds. You can't ask them for the files. Um, they, you know, there was an officer. But because these guys were so arrogant and was yeah. just like, I'm not taking no pleas. I'm taking my shit to court. I I didn't do anything wrong allegedly. That's how all of this. They just buried these guys in evidence. Hundred percent. There was a, a cop who was dealing drugs out of the Northwest District in uh, 2010. Got charged by the FBI. Pleaded guilty. I tried to get more info. I wrote to him. Didn't write back. I asked them for the. I did a FOIA. Didn't. They said we don't. We don't give you anything. I wanted to write more about that. I couldn't. So wow. these guys, they open the floodgates for all this stuff, having everybody take the stand and then they get cross-examined and get asked stuff that even the government doesn't want to come out. is wild. Yeah, and you know what's so interesting about that too? Because as somebody who is a hip-hop fan, right, you sort of learn to understand that like when the feds bring a case against you, like that 97% conviction rate is that's for a reason. They have all the money, all the time in the world to take on your ass. They don't have to arrest you in two years or move on. Like they can take as long as they want and they're going to nail you. They're not going to stop. <laughs> they're going to keep their wires going, their monitoring going until they have everything lined up meticulously to bury you. So once the feds bring an indictment on your ass, you're cooked. That is, of course, um, unless it's like terrorism where they're like inventing terrorism out of whole cloth. Like we don't need to get into that. Like the FBI was fucking around with terrorism. But like when it comes to this type of shit, they don't do it unless they got you. So did you have an idea that like these guys, they got the real goods on these fools? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the, the way they went about it, I, I think the biggest part was the cooperators. And that's the, that's a great part hmm. of the show, too. It's like these guys sitting down saying like, let me tell you everything that happened and why. Um, that's that's great. That's really important. I think there was a case in Philadelphia that happened a couple of years before this case went federal. Same thing. A drug unit, like seven drug cops in Philly. And they all sort of held together and they got acquitted. You know, wow. they all they they, they they there was one guy who flipped and the jury didn't believe him. And that that's the ghost of the heart of these cases. I think that like it's true that people don't you know, they don't want to believe a drug dealer. The feds themselves don't want to. I think, you know, since this case, people have raised some allegations and the feds have been like, nah, it's bullshit. And it's like, yeah, that was a moment. That might have just been a moment <laughs> where they really knew these. They really had these guys and went with it. But like, how likely are they to like trust something like that in the future or if it's not corroborated? Um, but uh, 
but yeah, I think the 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 cooperators not only brought the the unit down, but like gave us like the the why and like the how yes. that we otherwise would never have had. And that's what I want to get into you because I want to know like when you started getting in like doing. Obviously, you've been at it for over a decade and a half. You're a seasoned reporter. You you're good at your job. You know how to get information. So you start getting your hands around this thing. Um, what was the moment when you know when you start attacking this and you're just like, holy fuck, like this is this is unlike anything I've ever done before. I think up the first, the year after the indictments, I was peeling away layers, and there was a lot of stuff that was sort of like there was cases that we knew about maybe in the past, and it was like, oh man, like like I didn't like he like we finally getting at the truth now of what happened. There was a case with Rayum from like 2010, and it's portrayed in the show, but it was like. His partner at the time was someone I'd written about. He, he got caught stealing money from a cadet during an undercover sting, and the case fell apart. And then, um, you know, we found out these other things about it, and it was sort of like, okay, okay, things are starting to come together. But the, honestly, the, tr the trial was wild, man. Like, mm. the, the feds brought out, at one point, a duffel bag with, uh, like, like Halloween-type masks, a grappling hook. Um, I mean, like crazy stuff that they took out of Jenkins' van and they plopped it down on the floor in front of the jury. And then that video that was in last week's episode where they're prying open the safe and the officers are sitting, the cooperating officers are like, yeah, that video, we made that after we'd already pried it open and took a hundred grand out of it. It was like, I mean, I, I remember. So the feds brought these officers actually to trial and actually be like, yeah, this is, Jenkins is the one who did it. He made me do it and all of that. Yeah, I mean, it was Herschel and Taylor that were on trial, but Jenkins obviously was like center stage. And I, I, I try to live tweet these things. And so I was like running out of the courtroom constantly. <laughs> but, it was just, but again, it was just like, it was just, it was everything just sort of like compounded. It was like so many things, like, like it was everything all at once. And it was just, it was, yeah, it's pretty, um, I mean, and, and, uh, and honestly, it's, it's awful. I mean, it, it's awful how it went on this long and, and the people who didn't feel, you know, who, who, would, who didn't feel like they could be heard or believed and, and people who did time that they, shouldn't have and people who lost their lives i mean it's really um uh a, a real um uh, like you know terrorizing the city so man i think the best part about the show honestly is like they explain everything at such a top-down level by the time you get to you know the officers in in um jenkins's unit and they're ba he's basically like what you making overtime what you making base pay and they were explaining, like, it, it becomes so obvious why these guys are doing this. It right. becomes so plain to you why it's doing this. And the beautiful thing is, like, the show and obviously your book sets up the systems that were in place that produced a ecosystem and environment where these guys were incentivized to behave this way. I know David Simon has, like, in public basically been like, yo, a lot of this shit starts with O'Malley. And his thirst to become governor, um, and his thirst for numbers. What can you say about O'Malley and his part in all of this? I mean, I I definitely don't think police corruption started with Martin O'Malley. I think you know some of these officers. As this scandal continued to unfold, we heard about stuff that was going on for twenty years into the mid. Yeah, there were guys doing it before me. Yeah, and certainly they were passing it. They got it passed down from the people before them. I think there was a period of time in American policing where maybe after the Rampart scandal in L.A. and after the stuff in New York in the seventies and eighties, maybe we kind of like 
I don't know. I, and I, I'm not a, a, a full historian on the, uh, the whole country's police misconduct scandals, but it seems like there was maybe a period where we thought like, okay, policing's getting better, community policing, things yeah, like we've, that. We've cleaned the cops up, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I think that I think that what O'Malley's tenure did was like. They really, it was really this broken windows thing, zero tolerance. This like, you know, if we lock, if 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 we tell people we're gonna lock you up for, because you didn't cross at a crosswalk, well then everybody will cross at the crosswalk, and that obviously isn't the case. You cannot, you really can't control people's behavior like that. And they just ended up arresting a lot of people. But I think that the the, the complaint was that really investigations got. Um, warped in a way that like people no longer were doing investigations. And I hear that now to this day, like people don't know how to do an investigation. They know how to do things to, that, that look, that fill up the stat sheet. And, and now it's different stats. Um, it's about foot patrols and business checks and things like that that we're trying to do for the consent decree. But like, whereas before it was like, how many people did you lock up today? But in the middle, in both eras, it's like, what are you like actually learning from that? Like, what are you, what are you gaining from that? How are you going to use that? to do investigations. And, and I think that's, that there's a sense that that's missing. Yeah. And, you know, of course it, go, it comes from the top down, right? Like the mayor, he got elected on this, I'm going to fix crime thing. Um, and the way politics work is like, all right, you come up, you get to say that you said you were going to do this. You quote unquote got X, Y, and Z done. Now you get to, it's almost like the corporate ladder. You go from VP to SVP, right? Like you go from mayor of the biggest city in the state to now governing the entire state, right? Um, You, you got to produce these stats. And the, as, as you've learned in every single job, the shit rolls downhill. And so it goes down from the police commissioner to on down to the rest of the brass um how were the, those guys sort of implementing this stuff because i feel like most people come in and they're like yo i want to do a good job at being a police officer but then the institutional pressures start to hit you and you got to respond to those more than your fucking altruistic sense of oh i'm a public servant type of thing yeah i mean i, I mean again i think i think in a, in a best light, I mean, you know, a mayor says, I don't want so many people dying in my city. You know, I want less people dying. I want living Everybody in the city be behind that. Yeah, to be better. Exactly. And then because I remember talking, interviewing one of the former deputy commissioners. He's now like a CNN analyst, uh, Anthony Barksdale. And he's a he's a black guy. He's from West Baltimore. He believes strongly in policing. And I said to him, but the pressure that you put on people to get that crime down led to them doing this kind of stuff. He's like, well, I don't want them to do that. <laughs> I want them to get crime down. I don't want them to do that. I don't want them to break <laughs> You know the rules and it's it's like but but that was like an interesting moment where mm. it's sort of like he never told people you know do whatever it takes he said what the fuck is going on in this in the western district and and fix it <laughs> and the way they fixed it was the, the major yelled at the captain who yelled at the lieutenant who yelled at the sergeant who yelled at the officers to, and the officers are at the bottom of the line going well you know everybody's yelling at us to do something so we better and and they aren't going to hold us accountable if we do the wrong thing um because they're giving us this deference that like Hey, you're trying to get crime down. I want to get on that. What? Why can't you hold any officer? Like, I just, I, I find it hard to believe that it's the case that if officers are held accountable for very bad behavior, then policing cannot happen. What well, is I, that I, I disconnect? Think it, I think it starts with the fact that they don't believe the people who are complaining. I think that's the fundamental mm. issue. Mm. Like, and so... Like, like I saw Herschel's emails and I saw the emails about Herschel where they're like, you know, that guy is, is full of shit. Like, and you're going to really take Herschel off the street because that that piece of shit is complaining about him. That guy says that he searched his car. Bullshit. 
Purcell's doing what he's supposed to. He's making the thugs uncomfortable. You know, he's 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 out there. He's 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 messing with the right people. And of course, they're upset about it. And we cannot take him offline over that. That's the attitude. And if you if you if you put yourself in their shoes, they're like, oh, shit. Yeah, we can't let the there was an email where the, his sergeant said we can't let the criminals control this city. And I think that wow. it really is, you know, that's a mindset that I don't think is necessarily about accepting bad behavior. They don't even believe it's bad behavior in the first place. <laughs> that is, man, that that, that kind of cuts at the core of everything we're talking about. Uh, the relationship between the police and the people who are doing the policing and the community who they're ostensibly supposed to be serving where it's not a service relationship. It's it's very much an adversarial one. Um, damn near like, you know, I think in the Freddie Gray part, uh, it, it, they basically draw it out. It's like, it's, it's literally a war. <laughs> the citizens versus the goddamn police. And man, that is so interesting that like, basically they set up a culture where there's no way for a citizen to make an accusation on a cop that will stick. Like, there's just no way that it could happen. Even when some of them are like ridiculous. Like, like there was a, like an old, like a woman got her, he personally like broke a woman's arm at like a bake sale or something. It's like, all right, how does that happen? Like, how is that, how's anybody, how are anybody going to like justify that? And it's just like, but like, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, it's hard. To, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, some of these guys get so many complaints that I think they actually look at it as noise. And, and I think, and a lot of officers complain that like people do get fired or jacked up for like the wrong stuff. Like they, like they did something minor or they didn't follow policy exactly correctly. And for IAD internal affairs, like that's an easy thing to take, take on. Like we got you, like that's easy. That case, we don't know what to think about that. That's not on tape. We don't know who's telling the truth. We're just going to string this out for like a year or two. And like, we, we don't ultimately, we're just going to like, like close it. But like, they can also pinch people on stuff. that's not significant. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> that is such a hard circle to square. Um, just the idea that cops just can't ever be held accountable, right? Like there's no system that we can come up with where credible, because it's, it's just, it's just interesting because at a certain level, like cops are just citizens themselves, right? Like all of a sudden these guys put on a badge and they're no longer these same people who are capable of having flawed judgments, who are capable of making mistakes, who are capable of behaving monstrously. It's just like, we're supposed to believe like a guy takes a quote unquote oath and now he is the most honorable and most truthful person on planet earth when basically how, how long does it take to become a Baltimore uh, police department person? Uh, is it three I months? Like, I think it's like six months of training and then like 90 days of like field training or something like that. Okay. So <laughs> nine months, nine months is a nice long time. So there's, there's one example from the book though, that I think really like underscores like the, like the haze around a lot of this stuff. It's sort of the way I cap the book. So Jenkins, I was trying to get Jenkins to talk to me. I'm talking to everyone in Jenkins' world except Jenkins, um, and I heard from the uh, feds that he that he that they didn't think he was credible. They think he lied. He was trying to look out for himself, and he, he couldn't get a straight answer out of him. So at one point, I get a package in the mail from his wife, and it's a CD, and it says, "If you pr print this, like we will, he will talk to you." And I'm like, "Well, first of all, I'm not cutting any deals with this guy. Like, let's see what this is." But what it was was. After the gun trace task force indictments, there had been a press conference with a lawyer in town. He lined up a bunch of people who said, 
the GTTF had wrongly arrested them. And this one guy told a story of being pulled over and he didn't have a gun on him and a gun was planted and he ended up getting locked up and his infant died while he was locked up and his life was ruined. And, and, and it was a really awful story. So Jenkins got body camera video of that arrest. And it shows that it, it unequivocally shows that no gun was planted on the guy. The gun uh -huh. was absolutely there. You can, you can see it. It's there. Uh -huh. and, and like, you know, in that moment when we're supposed to now start believing all these victims who weren't believed and people are coming forward with stuff, it's yeah, not this cat. Like, yeah. Oh man, this stuff is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, stuff yeah. Is actually really hard. So anyway, but so, so I, I, I actually wrote the story cause I thought it was legit. I thought I owed, I, I strangely owed that to Wayne Jenkins somehow. And, uh, and he did not talk to me, but it, I, again, I thought it was interesting to just, um, underscore how, 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 how much confusion there is and how it's not easy to see what the truth is. Yeah, and so man, obviously all these indictments come out. Um, you know, you write a book, HBO puts out a doc, David Simon uh puts out a TV show. Um where are we at now? Um, what's the fallout from this uh and the policing like what what do the cops say they're doing or what did they say they were doing directly after? How's it looked since that, and where we at now with yeah. all of this stuff? So not, I'm not. I didn't come on to plug my my new job, but actually, I, for the Baltimore Banner, that, that's my big story for the launch. It's like sort of all the work I put into figuring out how we got to where we were, and instead, I want to look at where are we now, what's going on, because those pressures continue. We're on. We're going to have another 300 homicides this year, and this mayor mm -hmm. desperately wants to not do things the way they've been done in the past. That's e that's the easy way to do things, and it's the wrong way to do things. But he's his his holistic strategies. It they're not paying dividends, and people are getting um, frustrated or, or in, impatient. I guess is what I would say. So we're in an interesting moment where I, the question I'm trying to answer with that piece is, what do we want police to be? You know, I, there's a lot of people saying, well, you know, if you're not effective. Well, why are we paying you 550 million every year? You know, it that sounds like you're not able to control crime. I think the police say it's because you've taken the tools away from us, or we're, we're we don't. Oh God! Don't. Yeah, that's what they say. They say that like that you know the, the things that they know that they can do to affect crime, they're not able to do in this environment. And so I think um, the city needs to show that the city needs to, that they, we haven't stepped up. You know, drug treatment, but we're not arresting people for drugs anymore. The drug war, David's been doing a lot of talk about the drug war, ending the drug war. God bless him. I understand that's a lifelong thing. The drug war in Baltimore is kind of over. Um, they make three drug arrests per day in the city of Baltimore. Three. <laughs> they used to arrest 31,000 people a year for drugs. And so is policing all just just dedicated to homicides and like shit like that? Is, yeah, they, they, they investigate homicides after the fact. And then the patrol officers, and the specialized units have been depleted. There's hardly any. Um, and then, and then uh, patrol officers are supposed to be, they want them to go from guardian uh, warriors to guardians is what they say, which essentially is like not to be flip or dismissive, but like, it's kind of like observe and report like a, like a, like a mall cop almost like they really want them to repair the relationships in the, in the community by not engaging people over stuff that's minor, by not, they don't want to engage someone over a minor thing. That's going to turn into a whole big thing. And someone ends up getting hurt. Like they're just walking away. Or if they see, they used to break up people standing on the corners. They would say, you know, that's trouble. People standing on a corner, someone could drive by here and shoot them. Now, they could also just stand outside and enjoy the weather that night. But the cops see that as a potential um, bloodbath. And what they do now is they just drive up. <laughs> they, they, they drive up and people get uncomfortable with them being there and they walk away instead of patting them down and chasing them and 
searching their pockets and things like that. So it's a things have really changed here, but it's a question of like, you know, is it is, is it is it good? Is it is it is is it effective? Are we funding the right things that can actually drive down crime? And so, um, yeah, we have a lot of <laughs> a, a lot of things are happening all at once here, and it's it's a pretty um, interesting and confusing time. You know, and this is theoretical to me. And you mentioned uh, David's sort of crusade against the drug war. Um, I think it's, but that shit is twofold. Like we gotta decriminalize drugs. Like we can stop police from doing all the shit that they're doing, but so long as there's a community of people, and I don't know if you've watched The Wire, uh, but like you, you're talking about, and that's why the docs season is so important because it's like legitimate jobs don't exist for people to do who don't have college educated backgrounds, right? So you got a community of people who are descended from the people who, you know, left down South, uh, seeking jobs. Then they run into deindustrialization. They run into mass incarceration. They run, run into the drug war. And this is what we got, right? Like there's no legitimate jobs. First of all, so long as it's lucrative to sell drugs, People are going to do it. Uh, it's how you get a nice car, how you get a dope apartment, how you buy the things that we deem make you, uh, you know, desirable person in society. So I don't know how we can end the drug war on the police side um, if, again, people are incentivized on the criminal side to do this shit. Mm -hmm. What are their options? Like, what what are you supposed to do? Um, if you are, you know, if you are super poor from Baltimore, um, terrible school system, all this stuff, what are you really supposed to get into? How are you supposed to find your way into journalism like my man Justin Fenton did? No, I, I think one of the crazy things right now is like what's going on around marijuana. Like people laugh about like marijuana being like a dangerous thing because it's not as a drug, but they've decriminalized marijuana and don't arrest anybody for it. But it's not legal in Maryland. So everybody, there are a lot of people that uh, police say are getting killed over marijuana because it's a thriving market and there's no actual. And so the state is like dragging its feet, like trying to, uh, you know, un understandably, they're trying to make sure it's, it's equitable, that the rollout is equitable. It includes people just like you're saying, who have sure. been sort of shut out of this thing. Just sure. A bunch of tech bros jump in and they're the ones sure. running the industry. But in the meantime, like, man, <laughs> Maryland's like way behind on that. And it's kind of a problem. Um, I, I was talking to an activist who wants to defund the police who said also told me what, that he's frustrated that the police are allowing so many open air drug markets. And I said, but I thought you didn't want them to do that kind of thing. I thought you want to end the drug war. He goes, yeah, but there's not anything else happening right now. They have to step yeah. up. He's like, yeah. he's like, open air drug dealing is a problem. But, I, you know, arresting people isn't the answer. But the other the thing that is the answer isn't being done. And that's a problem. Like it's OK. So we can we have a counter example here. Prohibition. We criminalized alcohol. We fucking so a black market economy started. It becomes super lucrative, deregulated. Criminal elements take over it. They're fighting over money and territory, and it's a fucking madhouse. We decriminalize this shit, legislate, regulate the hell out of it. Nobody dies over alcohol sales anymore. You know, um, we can do the same shit for all of this other stuff. Like we really, we, we have the example of it. So until we actually do that, yeah. um, all this other stuff about how cops are going to treat drug dealers. I don't even think we can have the full conversation. I'm saying all of that to say, I don't think they can do their job. Like, I don't think the, 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 I don't think 
the goals that we put forth in front of police officers, there's no amount of money that we could throw at them to actually fix it. That's why I think cops are useless. Like they can't actually fix the problem we're asking them to do. It's not their fault. It's like it's they can't they can't do it. Right. And I think they, for the most part, understand that. And yet they're like, but we have to do something. But like, you know, we have to try to get the guys with the guns off the street. We have to try to make the criminals uncomfortable. And that's the mindset. Mindset is we can do that. You know, I sit in in a meeting last week where they, they're giving me access to the department because I'm saying I really want to see what you guys do now. Show me that the things that you're saying you're doing, you're actually doing. And, you know, like they were so proud about like there'd been a string of a carjacking and carjackings and robberies in the Southern district. And they said they made an arrest and they stopped. They said, look, we did that. We stopped that from happening. So I just, you know, but then again, again, the things that we've asked them to do in the past that we know are harmful, you know, the, the traffic stops with little justification and, and things like that, you know, they look at that as great stuff. They say, you know, if you pulled someone over for a broken taillight, we're allowed to do that. And if you happen to be talking to that person and you smell weed or you see a gun oh sticking God. out of the, the floorboard, that's good. <laughs> like you just stopped a guy with a, with a gun. Congratulations. And, and, and I think, but like what I saw with the gun trace task force reporting was, and again, because I'm not black and I haven't experienced that I got all the body cameras from when they didn't arrest somebody, when they pulled people over who were eating lunch, who were two feet in front of the sign, who were, I, I watched so many body camera footage of cars with young black men who did not have seatbelts on, but they hadn't, they had driven three feet off of a gas pump. They hadn't even left the property yet. They were three feet off the pump and were pulled over for not having seatbelts on. And all of a sudden they're all out of the car with Herschel ransacking the, 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 the trunk. We always hear about when the stop is successful and everyone goes, Good. <laughs> I'm glad you stopped that car because you got a gun or you got glad a guy. You violated that guy's hurt. constitutional rights. Yeah. People who don't live that don't know that all the times that it does not result in anything. And I think that is still going on. Um, but the, the officers who are tasked with doing that are, are far less. But if it's still happening, you know, it's a uh, it's a problem. You mentioned that 550 million. Um <laughs> Do you ever hear cops talk about a more holistic approach to this? Meaning like, look, man, if you guys are getting these guys treatments, if you guys are, you know, funding programs for people to eat, go to school, get jobs, like government jobs, blah, blah. Like, do you ever say, like, you know, this stuff that we that could be happening outside of policing that could be helping the problem? Or are they just like, well, that would be probably cutting into our 550s or fuck all that? No, I think that they definitely recognize that. And I think that they don't think that the, uh, the people who need to do that are going to do that in terms of the funding won't be available. Now, you know, critics say that the funding is not available because so much of it is going to the police. Hmm. But, you know, they're, they're saying, hey, fix that. Be, and, but until you fix that, we got to keep doing our job. And 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 I, I will say I know a lot of officers who and you, you talk about, you know, they volunteer and they 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 they, re they recognize they recognize that so they try to volunteer they try to help people individually mentor people um but you know but i think they also think that the court system isn't doing their job they feel like if i arrested a guy for a shooting and he pleads down to a second degree assault and he gets right back out like what the fuck <laughs> like like i thought i was doing what i was supposed to and you didn't do what you were supposed to so that you hear constant criticism of the court system the court system will tell you that it's usually flawed police work but so it's this like circular thing do we think there's any cops still robbing drug dealers in baltimore uh, uh, I'm not going to be naive say it's impossible, but I would say, this, <laughs> well, listen, we didn't think anything was going on post Freddie Gray. So whether, no, I, that's not true either. But um, no, I mean, again, I, I think, um, 
I think the body cameras are changing things. But as these guys, these guys are doing stuff off the clock. <laughs> so, you know, there's a body camera and you're off the clock either. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, Justin, man, thank you for coming on the show. Tell people where they can find you, shit that sh they should be looking at. Obviously, you talk briefly about your new project, but tell people about some of your work and, and, and what they should be looking out for. Yeah, We Own the City is out in all formats, um, hardcover, paperback, audiobook, Kindle, whatever. Um, and uh, I, I'm on uh, Twitter, Justin underscore Fenton. And I, again, I'm um, and working at a new place called the Baltimore Banner. I left the Baltimore Sun. We're trying to do a nonprofit model to improve the quality of news here. I believe very strongly in local news. I want to keep doing the work I'm doing and just keep striving to do it better. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that... Um, I, I think Baltimore continues to be, uh, you know, Marilyn Mosby right now is under federal indictment. She could be losing her job and going to jail. There's always something going on in Baltimore. So uh, following me is not just simply uh, stuff going on in, in Baltimore, but stuff that has broader implications, I guess. That was a love weird answer. Anyway. No, I love <laughs> that. I love that. I love that, man. Uh, Justin, thank you for coming on the show. That's our show for today. Make sure you're checking out what we're doing out here on Counter Day. Make sure you're watching We Own the City, my favorite show right now. On and of course, like Justin said, pick up his book, my favorite show on TV. Period. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>